Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each week, you'll join Messiah's Upper Room Bible Study Class led by Pastor Jim Oddy. This week, we are continuing our series over the Ten Commandments, titled Foundational Truth for a Confused World. Enjoy. And four to ten was four to ten. Because when you look at one to three, what are they primarily about? Your relationship with God. And if you look at it in a more specific way, what you discover, or at least maybe just only I've discovered it in, for me, is that it's not just about God, but it's about the presence of God. It's, it's about reverencing God. And it's about the idea that in my life on a day-to-day basis, God is with me. Yes, but am I practicing the presence of God? Am I allowing the presence of God to, to, to what? To fill me, to, to, in some sense, govern how I am, to affect me in such a way that it makes a difference when I get over here to commandments four to 10. Because what does four to 10 deal with? Our relationship with each other, Right. And so it's the idea of wondering, and that's kind of where I'm at, is wondering if there is not a spiritual outcome to practicing the presence of God and reverencing God, not only in our worship, but also in our words, and then also in that rhythm of work and rest, as we'll talk about today with the third commandment, that the difference that it makes is that it brings something to bear in terms of when I'm living out commandments 4 to 10. And I think we're going to see that at the end of the lesson um, when Jesus gets into this a little bit of a tiff with the Pharisees over what's the point of of the Sabbath. Is the point of the Sabbath to follow all the rules of the Sabbath as they were very good at doing? Or is the, is the purpose and the role and the, and the point of the Sabbath something different than maybe what our human nature wants to make it out to be? Does that make sense? Yeah? Even if you're not following me, it still makes sense? Good. All right. So, uh, so, so that's kind of where, I'm, where, I'm, where my thinking is uh, today. And we'll see if that plays out in terms of, uh, of our conversation today. So we're looking at, the, uh, looking at the third commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So from last week, we talked about the issue of how we use God's name. And so there were kind of three things that came out of that. Number one is a careless or careful use of God's name reveals our reverence to him. It occurred to me after I wrote this, that I think I would rather have the word reverence be a verb than a noun. If it's a verb, it's reverencing. How do you reverence God? And I don't even know if people even use that word anymore. Do people use that word anymore? Maybe. How do you reverence God? We're going to stand here all night until you come (laughs) up with an answer. What do you think, Max? Well, you don't use his name swearing or something like that. Okay, so the, the, the example you're giving is what we shouldn't do. Okay? So we don't use his name in a way that is abusive of others, for example. We, people use that, you know, GD this or GD that, and it's a very abusive way uh, to make your point. Because most of the time when people use that, unless they're just not thinking about it, they use it in an angry way or a, an aggressive way. Okay? So, yeah. So that's an example of what we don't do. But what's an example of what we do in the form of reverence? Well, yeah, John. I think it, it, it's an attitude. It's an issue of the heart. Because, um, I mean, God can tell if we're just acting reverently. Yeah. I think if we're, if we're living reverently, then that's, it's his spirit and his attitude that guides what you say, what you think, and how you act. So there's a, and maybe sometimes we're aware of it, but, but if you get, if you practice it enough, there's not even a sense of awareness of it. It just is. It's kind of like your breathing exercise. Like the breathing exercise. It, it comes on you and you, real, that's you right. don't realize you're doing it necessarily. And so there is a, 
authenticness to it. That's kind of a word that's used today, but it's, it's a, there's a, there's a genuineness there. There's a connection and that's really see what the second point is. And that's what the second commandment was about was the integrity of how, where your heart is with God. And then how does that, how's that integrity revealed and then reinforced through how you use your words? So, so there's not a disconnect between who is my God and how, what comes out of my lips in the form of a respect for him or, and or respect for other people as well. So that, that, that connection is there. And then uh, the third point was that our words advertise our beliefs. So in other words, it reveals to others what it is that you stand for. It reveals to others where you are with God. And it doesn't mean again, that we're shooting for perfection here because we're not, I mean, it's not about perfection. What it's about is, is, is a sense of, of that, of awareness that I would have of God with me and God with me and God in me then will impact how I am. Uh, somebody gave me, uh, this week, a, uh, you know, we talked about those license plates things last week, you know, that if you have one of those license plates, a uh, little, not, it's not a cover, but it's one of those little bracket things, right? And we kind of talked about that, that if you have one of those that has Messiah Lutheran on it, then please be a good driver. Okay. <laughs> we kind of talked about that a little bit. So somebody gave me one from the Methodist church and <laughs> I know. So I'm making it available to anybody that might want to, uh, might want to use that. So just let me know if that's something you want to do. All right. So, but again, it's this idea that what I, what I portray or what I communicate or how I am reveals something to people around me about whose I am, Right. And, and, and I think what is happening here in terms of the commandments is, is that what God really wants is for us to, to see that, for us to be aware of that, that we're more intentional about it, that we're more conscious of it, and not just simply walking through life, living my life, reacting to whoever, whatever, um, getting all upset about what's on Facebook and all those kinds of things, it, it, that we, we move from the unintentional to the intentional. And that as we do it, what happens is there's a couple things that show up and grow in us that equip us well for this. And I think that's why he's aiming this is first and this is second. Okay. By the way, what's interesting about this is Martin Luther had something to say about the value of the frustration that we all have in relationships. See, Luther, he kind of looked at things a little bit differently. He said, how many, he looked around in his church and said, how many of you are frustrated in your relationships? Okay. And we would all raise our hands, right? Oh, just me. Okay. I just, yeah. Um, he said, the value of that is that the more frustrated you are in your service and in your relationships and all those kinds of things, what happens is it drives you back to the word. So if you are at a point in your life where you're having all kinds of grief and, and, and mom, uh, tough moments in your relationships at work or at home or at church or wherever it is, say, thank you, Jesus, and open your Bible and start to read it more. Okay. That's, uh, that's the way that Luther looked at it. Okay. So let's, uh, let's open our discussion this morning, thinking about the uniqueness, the holiness, that's kind of the way the word is used in the Bible for the Sabbath. All right. So we probably ought to ask the question, what is this? What does that mean to have a Sabbath? What is a Sabbath? It's a day of rest. Okay. So in, in Old Testament times, the day of rest was Saturday. And in New Testament times, the day of rest is okay. So why, why is our, why is the New Testament? And in particular for Christians, why is the Sunday, the day of rest for Christians? Yeah, very good. That was so clearly articulated. Keith, what is it? Celebration of the resurrection. Yeah. So Easter is for us the celebration, and that's the day that we celebrate 
the rest and God, God's gift of salvation, those kinds of things. So that's the, that's the difference. So how many of you can remember days of blue laws? Woo. So what was the deal with blue laws? What was that? What was it? Everything was closed. Well, all day, was it all day Sunday or was it just like in the morning or all day? Now, I remember because I grew up in the South, I remember it being in the South. But was it in the North too? Did they have it in the North? It was only in the South? Yes? Canada? You had it in Canada? Holy cow. Wow. Yeah. Fred. Yeah, I don't remember blue laws where we grew up, but in the summertime, every other summer we did that in Michigan, in Jenison, Michigan, where my mom was from. Yeah. And they had the only McDonald's. So, okay, so what Fred just said, that must have been pure torture. What, what Fred said was that way up in Michigan, um, they had the only McDonald's, and it was closed on Sunday. Wow. And that goes back to the 70s. Yeah. Wow. And I can see that that's made a traumatic impression on your, on your life now. And you probably can't drive by a McDonald's on Sunday without feeling guilty now just looking over there, right? Yeah, he does. Okay. All right. Good. Good. That's great. Yeah. So uh, were you happy about Blue Laws? Some people were happy. Why were you happy about it? You didn't have to work that day, but you couldn't go buy anything either. So, but they, you did, that wasn't seen as an inconvenience or anything like that. Okay. Wow. I'm amazed because I didn't like them because I, that, because I wanted to go to the store and I wanted to do fun things. And, and so then I didn't get to do that. So for me, maybe just being a little younger uh, generation, maybe that was more felt imposed on okay big brother imposing itself on you know me yeah they were so arbitrary they were arbitrary some were things were covered some things weren't mm -hmm. i mean there were so many things that had to be open you had to go to the grocery store and you had to be careful what you could buy and what you couldn't yes. buy it was arbitrary yes it didn't ever seem to me that it mm -hmm. was working to honor the Sabbath, which presumably was what I, I th was. Does anyone know why it can't, was it to honor the Sabbath, do you think? Do you, I mean, I'm guessing. I so people didn't have to work on Sunday. Oh, so people in the store didn't have to work on Sunday. Oh, okay. I got you. So then if nobody was there in the store, then nobody could buy stuff. The store was closed, yeah. But they weren't all closed. See, it was kind of arbitrary. I don't know how they decided if each local community decided that or if that was a big, you know, law from somewhere. Yeah, Richard. I, I worked in the, the grocery store. I worked almost every Sunday. And it was one whole aisle that was covered. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And I was, oh, really? Yeah, it was the whole aisle. Like they covered it? Yeah, they had like... Uh, Kind of like volleyball nets or something. Wow. We used to put it over that, that whole aisle. Yeah. And the stuff that was in there was sure. stuff like... Uh, Very materialistic like stuff, I'm dishes, sure. Yeah. And, you know, spatulas and, and stuff that was not a critical necessity. <laughs> but you could buy food. Yes, but I'm imagining that I would have been the one to go over there and try to sneak one of those, you know, kind of... <laughs> slip underneath there. Well, it's like Adam and Eve, you know, if God says don't eat of that tree, I mean, you know, come on. I mean, that's almost an imitation. So it's like, geez, yeah. Texas, you could buy cars on Sunday if they didn't buy, if they didn't sell them on Saturday. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So, so it probably tells us a little bit about what happens when you try to legislate morality, right? Is that what ends up happening is that we all find a way to create a loophole and then a way to be able to say that that law may apply to everyone else in the world, but it doesn't apply to me. And so that's probably what we end up doing. That's probably why, why that's such a failed experiment, but we keep trying it over and over again. Yeah. My dad owned a gas station. Your dad owned a gas station, Sue. Okay. So he couldn't sell beer on Sunday. He okay. had to sell 5% beer. That's the only beer he He could sell 5% beer, but not what, like... Regular beer. Yeah. Yeah. And where was this at? 
in Missouri. Okay, right on that line there, probably between the Lutherans and the Catholics, probably was where that, <laughs> probably where that was. Yeah, that's right. Well, but see again, that's kind of one of those what uh, what uh, Brenda's talking about that you know we we just find a way around it, and it's the laws seem to sort of. I don't say encourage that in us, but we just maybe it's just our, our nature to uh, to do that. All right. Well, see, so we've already kind of talked about the benefits of it. So the third question maybe is a little bit more probing. And that is for you to think about the idea that there is a Sabbath inside of you. That when God created you and he breathed into you the breath of life as he did all of us. That what came with that breath of life was a rhythm of work and rest, of, of creation and Sabbath. And it kind of makes sense because what did he create us in the image of in the first place? Himself. And so himself as the worker creator, and then himself as the rester is part of us. And so what I want you to be thinking about is in what way or when are those moments? And they might be these sort of very solitary moments when you're not even expecting it. That you've all, all of a sudden what happens is you feel this sense of like that. Not peace per se, not even serenity, maybe serenity, but just that sense of God's really right there. And so I encourage you that when you... When that happens, you note it. You note it. Because that's the moment, I think, when whatever's out here touched the deeper thing that's in here. Okay? You, so, you ready to move on? Okay, very good. All right, so what I've tried to do, first of all, by putting this diagram up here, I want you to know that I was finally successful at being able to do this. Okay? So I've worked really hard to try to get my word processing skills up where I actually can put a picture in the middle and it's not off to the left somewhere and, uh, and then I don't know what to do. Okay, so that's the first thing I want to, uh, to celebrate with you. All right, so, so the idea is that, that I'm presenting here in number three is kind of what I started our conversation with this morning. The idea that those three commandments... What they represent is the idea of presence, of God's presence in your life. That there's that worship, that centering sort of worship that we have every single day. There's the connection of heart and lips in terms of what we do verbally with God's name. And then now today we talk about that rhythm of work and spiritual rest. And what we're going to see later is how Jesus pulls that all together in this uh, moment that he had with the Pharisees. And we'll talk about that at the very end. Okay, so let's go to page two. Exodus 20 is where God gave the original third commandment. All right, and we've talked about the numbering, how it's different in different lists, but we're going with this as, uh, as the third commandment. So uh, God says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. He says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. Starts with the word remember. What does that mean? If somebody says to you, now remember, I mean, that's kind of how we use it, right? Is that... Is that, do you get some sense that there's maybe a little bit more to this than don't forget? Yeah, Sandy. Be mindful. Be mindful. Okay, so that takes us to a little bit deeper place. There's a kind of an intentionality there, right? But it still kind of focuses on the cognitive, right? And the problem with the focus on the cognitive has to do with, well, what happens when I get to maybe a point in my life where the cognitive isn't working so well anymore? Anybody notice any of those no. declining things? Yeah, nobody will raise their hand because you already forgot what it is I was asking. So, <laughs> Okay, so, so the idea, remember. Now, we, we see the word remember, and we hear the word remember every other Sunday at Messiah. What, what, what did Jesus say? Do this 
in remembrance of me. Now, there are people that think that that word remember means the idea or it's limited to the idea that we just don't forget. So that we have a memorial to something, right? We have a, uh, a commemoration, if you will, of something. But that's not what the Hebrew understanding of, of remember. And the New Testament picks that up as well in terms of Jesus. When he says remember, it's, here's a great definition. It's an intentional act of living in the blessings of the present which came from God's gracious acts in the past. Now that's a lot of words, isn't it? But that's what it means to remember. See, so when we go to communion, for example, it's not just we go to communion so we can remember what Jesus did for us. We go to communion for what? To receive God's blessing of grace and forgiveness and all those things that come from being in relationship with him. In other words, we celebrate that in the present based on what he did in the past. So the idea you see is that God does something in that sacrament rather than me do something, which is basically remember. That's the difference. So when, when he says, remember the Sabbath day, what is it that the people were to remember? In other words, what is it that they were to celebrate enjoying the blessings of it in the present based on what God had done in the past? What, is, what was it? Well, let's see. Where's Moses when he's receiving this? Up on Mount Sinai, right? Okay. And where had they come from to get there? Egypt. And what had been their life in Egypt? Slavery. So what God had done was freed them. He delivered them. And remember, that's what he says in the preface to the commandments. He said, I, the Lord, your God, who did what for you? Who brought you out of Egypt, right? Freed you, delivered you, did all those things. So God has already done the good thing. He already did the love, the loving thing. And now he says, as part of celebrating what you have received from me and that you can enjoy the blessings of it right now in the present. You're free, right? Just then, then celebrate that in terms of the Sabbath. Yeah, Keith. Now I'll equate that to the Passover leaving Egypt yes. and the Sabbath back to creation. Yes. I want you to teach the next class. That's what I want to have happen. I may ask you to do that anyway. Oh, 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 well, you're, you, he's got too much to do. Is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. All right. Maybe next year. Okay. We'll get you next year. All right. No, but see, that's what that is. God is very intentional about timing. And the more we look at it, we can see the linkages. The linkages are all there. It's not, it's not like he does stuff, at least scripturally in a, uh, in a vacuum, there's, there's, a, there's a sense of movement, isn't there? There's a sense of rhythm, if you will. All right? So he says, remember the Sabbath day. In other words, celebrate the Sabbath day. Okay? By doing what? Which kind of sounds like doing nothing, right? That's kind of what it sounds like. So what does it mean to keep something holy? Set apart. <laughs> Set apart. Okay, that's a great confirmation word. Who said that? You said that? You would get an A+. Plus in confirmation <laughs> that you did. <laughs> there you go. All right. You can pick out the PKs everywhere. Let me tell you. All right. But what does that mean? Set apart. Now, what does that mean? Set apart. Okay. That's not really words we use today. So we need to kind of translate that into how, how we use uh, words today. So what does that mean? Pardon? Different. Different. Okay. That's very nice and vague. I love that. Very good. Different. Treat it differently than any other day of the week. And so translating into how, what, when, where. Number one, you're here. You know, you're not here every day. I am, but you're not here every day. Um, okay, so it's different. It's unique. It's set apart. It's something designed for something other than the labor that you do in terms of earning a living and providing for your family and doing all the things that you do, right? Serving, that sort of thing. So that's the idea of, of keeping it holy. Now, notice what he says to sort of add to that. He says, on this day, you shall not do any work. Now, what's interesting 
is that from the time that God gave this to Moses, where they didn't really have any idea what he was talking about other than don't work, okay, to the time of Jesus, there was a lot of, a lot of time that went by for people to study that word work and define that word work and then figure out what actually is work and what actually isn't work and then to be able to write it down in, uh, in some sort of, uh, you know, book, maybe some sort of like operations manual, something like that, right, personnel manual. And then, and then from that, we can always look at whatever you're doing to see if it uh, violates that sense of what work is and what work isn't. And that's what happened in the Jewish religion. So in the Jewish religion, the Pharisees and the scribes, these were people, and the teachers of the law, these were people whose um, sole reason for doing what they do was in, in ostensibly to serve God. It was certainly to do that. They had a good intent. Um, but what they also kind of ended up doing was turning something as a single singular commandment into this volumes and volumes and volumes of definitions. So if you look at the note here, um, the Jewish Talmud, that was a kind of a, I, I think in some sense we could say some sort of a, a listing of how you do the faith. Let's put it that way. It listed 1,521 activities that a person could not do on the Sabbath. And it was really uh, very, uh, very detailedly uh, defined. So, for example, number one there, to dull the pain of a toothache, you could dip a brush in vinegar, but you couldn't gargle in vinegar. Now, okay, we look at that and we say, oh, brother, okay, how, do, how does this happen? How do, how is it that we do this? That humans take a good, relatively simple thing from God and turn it into this giant, bigger thing than God maybe ever intended. How is it that humans do that? How do humans do that? Well, sin, I, I guess, but I'm not really seeing the intent of sin here. We overthink it. Oh, we overthink it. Yes. And we overanalyze it, right? Okay. And maybe there is some sense of the fear of doing it wrong. Yeah. So if I'm afraid of doing it wrong, and I'm afraid that if I do it wrong, bad things will happen to me. Well, would bad things happen to me? Well, let's look at Exodus 31, 15, a little further down there. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day is to be put to death. <laughs> well, you know, I think if I read that and was taking it seriously, I think maybe I might be worried about what is work and what isn't work. And the problem is, I would lose sight of whatever it was that God intended in the first place, because now I'm so anxious and I'm so like, oh, I can't do this and can't do that. No, am I doing it right? And that whole kind of thing. And so the whole joy of the Sabbath goes right out the window. Yeah. In our Holy Land tour, there was a large population of Jewish people. Uh -huh. And pushing the elevator button is considered work. So they have one specific elevator that goes up and down yeah. all day and all night, yeah. stopping at every floor. Right. And one lady came out, I forget which one of our members, crying hysterically because she wanted to go to bed and she couldn't turn the light off. Would, would you come in and turn my light off for me? There you go. Just, I mean, it was... So again, I think that, and sort of to put that into context, I think within Judaism, there are people that are the extreme uh, Hasidic Jews very much. We would think of those folks as being the letter of the law to the nth degree. But they could ask someone else to come do it for them. And that so was okay. you could work on Sunday, but they couldn't yeah. in some sense of that. That's very interesting. Okay. Now, again, th think of what it's like to live your life like that. The intent is good. It's a good intent. It, the intent is the, the desire to do what? Serve God. Follow his word. Do the thing that he wants you to do. Live your life in the way that's pleasing to him. But you see, at some point, a shift occurred. And it moved away from the joy of living and maybe the joy of knowing you're forgiven 
for those things into the fear of if I don't do it and I don't do it the right way and I don't do it every time the right way, guess what's going to happen? Oop, put to death. The emphasis shifted at some point. And I guess what I'm encouraging and maybe wondering is if that doesn't somehow this, the same thing happen to us. Is that we, maybe not to the degree of, you know, we do have an elevator here at the church and you can feel free to punch it on Sunday. Okay. Um, but I wonder if sometimes we don't get so caught up in doing everything the right way every single time that what happens is we fall into maybe the same trap just on, maybe on a lesser basis. And I'm not saying that we're doing it. I'm just wondering if that is not the case for us, because this is a human problem. It's a human phenomenon. It's not only just Jewish people that this affects. Okay. Somebody had their hand up. Oh yeah. Mark. Yeah. What I would wonder and question is, has it shifted even in the Jewish community from doing what God wants us to do to doing what, what 1521 do not, it's shifted to what man wants you to do. Yeah. I mean, there, there would be some sense of that. And since, what it, what it, the the, the uh, question that you asked or the comment that you're making is wondering if over time the shift went from what God wants us to do to what man wants us to do. Okay, that's right. And it's not just a, a pr- the product of overthinking it, but maybe the product of shifting from joy to fear. And is it a control thing? It certainly can turn into that. I mean, if I want to control you, then I'll just make the list for you of all the things that you need to do, right? And, and then that you shouldn't do. And then I'll have to make sure that I check in with you on that. Maybe this week we could get together and talk about that, okay? Would that be good? Over lunch, we'll do that, yes. And feel free to buy. That would be awesome. Yeah, yeah, Keith. But in addition to what he's saying, though, if you go back to creation on the seventh day, God reflected on what he'd done as good. Yes. He was a reflection of good. Yes. And in fact, and and then with people, it was what? Very good. Yeah. So he did reflecting on what had come before and what he had been a part of before. Great point. Original resting point. And we've got 1,500. Yeah. So, so the other part of it, I think, is that we remember that in the history of, uh, of Judaism, they always had had a prophet that was around to tell them what God wanted them to know. Until when? Until when? Who was the last prophet in the Old Testament? Jeremiah. No, even after Jeremiah. Who's the last? You can just go to like your Bible or your Google. Who's the last one? Malachi. So from Malachi to basically the birth of John the Baptist, there's 400 years and there's no prophet. And so I suspect what happened was during that 400 years, when you don't have a prophet telling you what God wants, you have people that are saying, well, we'll just take what, God, what we already know God's saying, and then what we'll do is we'll delineate it out in such a way that people still know what it means to be a, a follower. The other part to it was that during that time, what's going on geopolitically? Who's running through taking over those whole areas Romans, Greeks, Persians, right? And so during all that time, what you also have politically and culturally is an awful lot of what's called acculturation, which means that whoever came in and occupied that area brought their culture with them and their religion. If you bring your culture and your religion and then the religion of the area becomes the religion of the oppressor, well, then somebody's going to be thinking, you know what? We are in real danger here of losing our religion. We're in danger of losing what we believe. Because what's happening is everybody's just saying, well, whatever the Romans do, we'll do. Whatever the Greeks say, we'll do. Whatever the Persians say, we do. And so after a while, what do you believe? Could that happen today? It is if we let it. Yeah. Yeah, if we let it. And I think to some degree, that's what was also fueling this, is the fear that we're going to lose our religion. So what we're going to make sure we do is delineate it in such a way that for sure you'll know that if you don't do what's on the list, or if you do what's on the bad list, 
then there's some question about whether or not you've lost your religion. And see, what happens is then the focus is on fear of rather than joy in. And I think that's kind of where we're going back to is how do you, how do you capture, how do you reclaim the joy in knowing that the fear of is a pretty persistent thing? It, it can grab onto you, and that's how you're living your life in the fear of. Make sense? Yeah. Kind of making this up as I go, so I hope you're connecting with me. Yeah. Go ahead. You also have the period of time where there was no prophet, but guess who appeared? Man created Pharisees. Yeah, of course. And again, the intent was good at, in the beginning. We're here to help people remember what really matters in our religion, which are all the rules. Right, you also had like the Maccabeans in there, which were basically renegade, causing all this stuff. So yeah. A lot of history happened, which transformed all this 400 years. A lot happened. Did you guys, when you went to the Holy Land, did you go like to Masada and some of those places like that? Yeah, I mean, that must have been pretty profound to, to see where people would take that extreme in terms of their faith. But the faith was more fear of than it was the joy in. Okay, so just kind of, just kind of, uh, I, I think there uh, some ideas are maybe percolating a little bit here, and that's kind of what my goal is for us uh, this morning. Okay, so foundational truth number thirteen: the real issue at stake in the third commandment is how you balance the rhythm, the rhythm of work, rest, R E S T, and your relationship to God. So the way that I would sort of visualize this. Pastor Coleman's sermon was really inspiring this morning because I was thinking of this while he was preaching. So it was excellent. Okay. So it's work, it's rest. And we're talking in a spiritual sense. We'll talk about what that means. Spiritual rest. And then your relationship with God. And this idea of his presence. Now, why didn't I make that a separate circle from work and rest? Why isn't it work, rest, and relationship with God? So now you got three circles. Why, why didn't I do that? You can't separate his presence from work and rest. That's right. That when, when, my, when I'm thinking about the fact that that God is present with me as he says he is, then it doesn't matter if I'm at work or at rest, I'm still what? In the presence of God, right? And when I'm in the presence of God, what we're hoping is that informs me in terms of when I'm doing this and when I'm doing this, particularly as it applies to this. But if I take if I take the presence of God out of it and make it its own separate thing, then I can say, well, and, and then we sort of buy into the, the, the sort of common belief that how you are uh, privately has no bearing on how you are publicly. Have we ever heard that before? Oh, brother. And we totally bought into it culturally. That what I do in my personal life is my personal life and has nothing to do with my public life. What I believe and how I am over here has nothing to do with how I am over here. That's baloney. But see, we buy into that. And so what I hear him talking about this idea is that it's when I'm here and when I'm here, I'm in here. And even if I'm not in here or here, but somewhere in between, I'm still in here, right? And somehow we got to get that back. Because the more that we get that back, what happens then is that feeds the good things that are here which empower us to do this, but to do it in joy instead of in fear. Okay. Thoughts? Have any thoughts? Yes. I think sometimes in some of our workplaces, workplaces, our workplaces tell us that those two circles can't overlap at all. So you're saying that in some, I'm just going to repeat for the so everybody can hear. You're saying that in, in some work settings, we're told they can't overlap. Is that what you're saying? We're, we're told to keep our, our faith out of the workplace. Oh, okay. Whereas, you know, our faith drives four, and ten, four through ten. Yeah. But 
we're told keep your faith out of the workplace. Yes. And and so it's like building a wall between the two circles. Is there some wisdom to that? Did you hear what he said? They keeping our faith out of um, the workplace. What is there some wisdom to that? Do you think? I mean, from just a common sense perspective, it's not all evil. What's the common sense perspective? Yes, I am. In our constitution, you know, our, our, our faith, we have our faith. We always have our faith. That's right. They can't take it away from me. That's right. But it's not my job in the workplace for other people to be preaching when I'm doing a job for which I'm being compensated. I have to respect their rights, but sure. I still have my faith. That's that right. never goes away. No, because it's in you. Maybe That's you right. blame the government. Let me talk about my faith. You know what? I don't want somebody preaching to me when I was working. Well, Would you want somebody coming up preaching to you? It happens all the time with me. <laughs> and let me tell you, I don't. I don't like it a bit, let me tell you. And, and, and there'll be some more conversations about that, let me tell you. Yeah. Yeah, March. But you carry yourself wherever you That's go. Right. And if you have uh, integrity and you present yourself with who you are and your relationship to God shows through that, then, yeah. then you have the character of non-negotiables. Uh, yes. It's who I am. Like your values, yeah. And your values. Yeah. And so I'm talking about at work. And, and mm -hmm. uh, because I've had that happen to me. At sure. Work. I mean, the bottom line is no matter where you go, you always take you with you. Yes. Wherever you go, there you are. Yeah. You take you with you. So the question is, what is in you that leaks out? that other people at the very least will wonder about. They, they'll be they'll saying, there's, you know, there's something just like so different about you. And they're trying to figure out, they're trying to put their finger on what it is. And particularly when they see you handling the, the, the sometimes stressful scenarios in which you do what you do. And everybody's got some form of that. And so the question is, when it happens, how does this inform how you respond? Now, again, I realize that sometimes when we're faced with, you know, somebody's mean to you or whatever, however it would be, we do have those, mo those flash moments, don't we, where it's like, boom, you know, and then you feel so good. And then you feel terrible afterwards, right? Okay, hopefully. So, yeah, we have those moments. But in terms of a sort of consistent way of doing your life, with God's presence in you and with you, eventually people are going to look at you like, I don't know how you do it. And you'll hear people say that. I just don't know how you put up with him. I don't mean him. I just mean, <laughs> or I don't know how you're putting up with this situation. I don't know how, I don't know how, they, how you do that. And that's the moment when you can speak of the difference that this makes. The question is, are you practicing it enough to where they look different? <laughs> or that just you can you can link the two. Okay? Because I think sometimes what happens is we, you know, we react a certain way, we react well, and then people will say to me, Well, how in the world do you do that? And I'm immediately thinking of all the classes I took. Well, I do have a degree in this. <laughs> you know, I mean I, I, it just doesn't occur to me to think, oh wait a minute presence of God, presence of God. And so it's, it's thinking that way and then using that opportunity as, as Peter says in his epistle to give the reason for the hope that you have when people ask. And that's not being preachy. That's being responsive, but it's being responsive in an, uh, maybe an intellectually honest way that suggests that you have prepared for that moment. Does that make sense? See? And when you're prepared for it, at least this is how it is for me, when I'm prepared for it, I'm not afraid of it. I'm not running from it. I'm not going, oh boy, I sure hope they don't ask me. It's like when I was in uh, seminary, we had to go through evangelism training. And at that time, the, uh, the, uh, the name of the evangelism training was... Uh, was Evangelism Explosion, which was uh, James Kennedy out of Coral Ridge, I think Presbyterian or Baptist, can't remember which one it is in Florida. It was very popular. My dad taught lots of 
of seminars on it in Dallas-Fort Worth and all kinds of things. So anyway, we had to go through that in seminary. And what it sort of required for, of you to do was walk up to somebody that you didn't know and say, hey, Mary, have I got good news for you? And in fact, the, the name Mary was used. So I'm actually talking <laughs> to Mary right here. I've got good news for you. And then to ask the question, Mary, if you were to die tonight, are you absolutely sure that you would go to heaven? And Mary would like freak out. And then she would probably say yes. And then I would say uh, on, on what basis? And then that was the idea then of, of sort of getting you into the moment where you could share the gospel. So part of the deal on this training that we got was that we actually had to go do it. Now, I was happy to learn about it, <laughs> but I was not happy about going to do it. And they actually bust us from the seminary out away into St. Louis and now we're going to all go do evangelism and win the world for Christ. So I remember thinking to myself, oh, Lord, nobody home. Oh, Lord, nobody home. Oh, Lord, nobody home. <laughs> and then going to the door and instead of robustly pounding on the door to wake the dead, I did this. <laughs> nobody home. Rats can't do it. Okay. We all maybe have our styles, right? But when you're prepared for that moment when somebody comes up to you and says, I don't know how you do it. I'm looking at all the stuff in your life and everything you're putting up with here. How do you do it? See, that's a golden moment, right? That's the moment when whatever hope you have in you that you think is so tiny that it couldn't possibly leak out. Maybe an eyedropper of worth of it. Somehow somebody else picked up on it. And that's when they said, I, I want to know more. And there's the moment. Does it make sense? See, I have no idea how we got to that, but, uh, Okay, so going back to this. All right. Oh, yeah, the presence of God. Okay, the presence of God. All right, so look at Genesis 2.16. Work is pretty important, is it not? What the Lord God, and from the very beginning, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to do what? And take care of it. Yeah, work's in our DNA. Work's part of who we are. Now, could work... Could we go way too far on work and now it defines who I am and my, all my self-esteem is out of work and, and my sense of worth and value in the world is out of work? Could, it, could, it, could, I, could I go there? Sure. Yeah. It's easy to go there. Um, and, and, but, but the idea of the importance of work is, uh, is hugely significant. So foundational truth number 14 is work is built into our DNA. Our DNA is part of who you are. And again, when you think about it from the perspective of being created in the image of God, God was a working God all the time. No, because he did what made time for rest. Yeah. So it's the balance you see of work and spiritual rest. Okay. So Keith, you get the last thing because we're out of time and we're going to pick it up. Was it okay if we pick it up next time? Okay. Cause I really do want to hit this this whole thing of Jesus getting into that moment of what's the purpose of the Sabbath. Yeah. Man was created to work in the garden. That's right. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was it. We were created to work. Yeah. We were created to work, but again, we can turn it into our idol where whatever it is that we think we get from work now becomes the God instead of God being the God. So again, how do you keep that all into perspective? Okay. Very good. Good stuff today. We'll, uh, we'll pick it up next week. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for our time together. Thank you for the way that you work in our hearts to give us that sense of joy in you, which is such a powerful voice against the fear of. It, it just seems like, Lord, that everything we read and we hear about on the news and people talking about all kinds of stuff, that there's so much fear in it, the fear of this and the fear of that. And after a while, we start to think that's the only thing that's there. Thank you so much for giving to us the gift of your word, because in your word, what you remind us of is that 
uh, when, when you are our only God, when, when there's consistency in what we say and, and what we believe, and then we, we strike that rhythm between work and rest, that what starts to happen is that we start to realize the great joy we have in you. So, Lord, I just simply pray, Lord, that you would, that you would feed us with your joy and, and that as that joy is in us, what happens is hope grows. And then, Lord, we just can't keep hope to, hope to ourselves. Hope is going to leak out. And when it does, give us that opportunity and that confidence to uh, share with others what is the reason for that hope. Watch over us uh, this week, dear Lord. Uh, be also with uh, uh, Pastor Coleman as he and his family are heading up to uh, Illinois later today to uh, attend to his uh, father's funeral and, uh, and his estate. And so then we uh, welcome them back later in the week. Watch over us until we're together again. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. If you want to join the discussion, please send us an email with your question or comment to messiahlutheranpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll be happy to read it during an upcoming class. You can also go to our website at www.messiahlutheranpodcast.com, where you can find links to all the previous episodes and copies of our class notes in case you want to follow along with each episode. You can also find out where to subscribe to the podcast at messiahlutheranpodcast.com slash subscribe for links on how you can find us on iTunes, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or any other podcast catcher of your choice. If you feel like we have given you any value during this podcast, please consider going to our podcast page in iTunes and leaving a rating or a review. Not only will that provide us with valuable feedback that we can use to improve the podcast for you, but it will help this podcast to climb the iTunes rankings and help us spread God's message to anyone willing to listen. Once again, thank you so much for listening to this episode. And until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.